0: I mean, I'm not going to tell somebody to cut out their latte every day, but I am going to say, well, you know, what about your housing, your transportation, and the latte, and this and that, and can you lure each of them a little bit?
1: Welcome to The Fi
2: Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host
1: cody and justin hello and welcome back to another episode of the five show but i could not be doing this show solo so justin what's up man
2: well i don't even know why you're asking me cody because we just touched down in lovely washington dc getting ready for fincon 2019 how about you cody
1: yeah, well, I'm doing the exact same thing because like you said, we're actually together and we spent the past few days in Mississippi in your hometown. Thanks for the hospitality, Justin. Had a grand old time and now we are just super excited to see a lot of old friends and make some new friends at FinCon this year. But speaking of making new friends, Justin, we made a pretty good friend last week. Well, we've been friends with them for a while through the Twitter sphere and other online social media outlets. But our guest today, Chad Methner, just has an amazing story of not having the highest income but being able to keep a savings rate and trudge down that path to FI. But let's not steal this whole story away. Take it away, Chad.
0: I was in a, I remember I was in a Christian bookstore. I was thrift shopping with my mother and and I walked by a copy of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And I thought to myself, if this book can really change my life for a dollar, why not give it a try? And I was like totally blown away by what I read by uh, Dave Ramsey. That kind of got me started on the fast track to personal finance. And then from there, I started listening to podcasts, found the Mr. Money Mustache blog, and just kind of got into that whole five rabbit hole from there.
2: And so when you got that book, was there really one particular thing that's like, flipped that switch for you? And what was the most difficult part in that book where you're like, man, this is going to be a tough road?
0: It's always that getting out of debt step. I'm still about 20 grand in debt from my master's degree and I'm just I'm still hitting it hard and I finally just like started uh, getting like as Dave says gazelle intense. but I, I've just been trying to knock out my student loans with still trying to balance you know having fun and traveling and I'm trying credit card hacking and things like that. but that debt is still just killing me and I've still got about seven years left of that student loan but I cut that down from 25 years.
1: So I kind of want to peel back a layer of the onion here. So can we take it back a little bit more to maybe late high school, early college? What exactly did you go in to study? And then what type of debt are we talking about that you had to go through the Dave Ramsey process to start getting out of it? And you still have 20 grand left to this day.
0: It started within high school. I remember when I was scheduling for high school classes, I wasn't going to do the college prep because I was feeling a little lazy. And the teachers told me, no, you have to schedule college prep classes. So I was kind of going from there. And I didn't really have a lot of help from my parents. They didn't really go to college, so they didn't know the whole college process and things like that. So I actually spent a year just working a minimum wage job with a landscaping uh, family friend, and I had no clue what to take in college. My dad actually worked for Ohio State, so I got half off tuition, and I looked into going into computer science. I got through about my first two classes and I just, I couldn't hack it. The, the mathematics got too difficult. The, I, I don't have that whole programming mindset. So that was a little bit difficult for me as well. So I ended up actually switching to a communication technology, which is kind of like the history of communication and business communication and things like that. But that degree was totally paid for. I got through my bachelor's completely debt free And then that was in 2009 where that big recession hit, and I had trouble finding a job because my parents taught me that whole, you know, you graduate from college, jobs are waiting. But it was 2009. Nobody was hiring. I was filling out applications for anything, and nothing would stick. I was working part-time here and there. So just from there, yeah, I graduated debt-free with my bachelor's, but I couldn't find a job, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I actually had uh, started working in data entry. And that's where I was you know, making low income, like $10, $10.75 an hour. And it was about three years into my last job. I worked there for a total of six. But about three years in, I had tuition reimbursement. I decided to go for my master's. And that ended up costing me about twenty five grand of the debt, and then the rest of it is car loans and personal loans and things like that. And I've worked my way from about forty thousand dollars in debt to down to that twenty thousand now. and I'm planning on having that finished probably in the next three to five years.
2: And so what did you go get your master's degree in? Kind of curious like, and when you chose that master's degree, did your kind of stint with having trouble finding a job? did that influence what you got your master's in? And then what year did you actually graduate your master's?
0: Okay. So I graduated college in 2009 and then I graduated with my master's, which is an MBA, master's of business administration in 2015. And I'm sorry, Justin, what was your other question? I know there was something.
2: Yeah. So sorry, I threw like three together in there, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, when you, okay, so you choose that MBA path, you know, did you consider like, Hey, last time when I graduated, I had a tough time finding a job. I should choose a master's that has a strong job market, or how did you settle on an MBA?
0: So this is a really weird answer, kind of totally out there. I was actually living with a roommate that wanted to work for Apple, the corporate office, not one of the retail stores, and she was like, well, I have to have an MBA or higher to even work for Apple, and I was like, well, if I'm gonna get a job, I need to get an MBA, and I can do it online, so why not just get an MBA?
1: That's awesome. So was this pre or post finding out about Phi? I know you found out about Dave Ramsey and that was, was that shortly after college?
0: Found out about Dave Ramsey about three or four years out of college. So we're thinking like 2012, 2013. And then I started my master's in 2014. So I know Dave Ramsey was all about, you know, get out of debt, get out of debt. And I was like, well, it's good debt because it's education and it's going to help me get a job. And I'll make six figures and, you know, I'll pay it off in a year or two. And, you know, 25 grand is nothing compared to 100 grand in debt. So I just kind of ignored Dave Ramsey. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, take out 25 grand because ROI is going to be, you know, four or five times.
1: And at this point, to kind of piggyback on that question Did you know about FI and was this like a deliberate choice? I know you said it was what Dave Ramsey calls good debt, but was this like a deliberate FI choice where you're kind of calculating the ROI? I know now you're talking about it as 2019 Chad saying, oh, of course, like spending 25k to make potentially six figures makes a lot of sense. But was that the same thought process that you had back then?
0: I mean, yeah, it was, I was kind of in between Dave Ramsey and Fi, so I I, I knew Dave Ramsey and getting out of debt, and I was expecting the whole retirement at 65 thing, and, you know, being financially independent, you know, in my late 60s, early 70s, but uh, yeah, it was kind of right about before the time I found Mr. Money Mustache and all the podcasts.
2: And so now that you're done with your master's degree, did life like really turn around for you, or did you find yourself back in that same kind of 2009 boat?
0: Yeah, let me see. It was 2015. I'd been at my job for about three or four years. I walked into the HR department, and you know, I'm talking to my bosses and talking to, you know, higher ups and things like that. And I was like, you know, I really want to advance in this company. I want to look for opportunities. And I was trying to get my hands in a little bit of everything. And they kind of basically smacked me down to reality and said, you need to pay your dues. You know, you got to be here longer. They had people that had been there 25, 30 years, so they were kind of laughing at me, and you know, they kind of had the entitled millennial approach at me, thinking that you know I had, as they said, paid my dues, or you know I was being impatient, things like that. And come to find out, that company actually was really lower paying, and I, I don't know if that kind of contributed to their having people feel like the job was very secure.
2: Okay, Chad. So I know you gave us that data point where at one time you're making like ten seventy-five. So now, if we fast forward, um, you've got your masters. You're at this company. How much are you making after you come back with your masters?
0: I, I'm I'm still making around that 1075, 1175, You know, just the two or three percent yearly increases, maybe even a little less. I'm working as much overtime as I can. And I'm still only hitting about twenty-seven, twenty-eight grand a year. And I'm just I'm I'm applying to every advanced opportunity they have there and I'm I'm you know, I'm kinda reaching for a little bit of everything, trying to find out exactly what I want to do. But that Masters it just kind of you know it, it didn't really open a whole lot of doors for me. And when I ended up actually walking away from that job after six years, I was still only making at maximum about thirteen twenty five an hour.
1: So that's kind of crazy to me, because a lot of people push people so hard to go get the master's or go get the PhD. And it sounds like you kind of hit that wall. And like everyone's I don't know if everyone was telling you to do it. But your roommate was like, I need this master's to get this job at Apple. And you're like, you know what, I should go do the same exact thing. And then you come out and nobody has job opportunities for you. So I mean, could you kind of talk about the mindset at that point? Because myself, I feel like I'd feel pretty crushed if I just went out and got this advanced degree and then I come back and I'm making almost the same or maybe a a dollar more per hour than I was pre-master's degree.
0: Yeah, I I was kind of in the mindset of I should have taken maybe a few more internships during my bachelor's degree and maybe gotten a little work experience and maybe I rushed the MBA. But, I, you know, I kept working for that company and then I got advanced into a promotion that it, it was soul crushing. I had to talk on the phone a lot and I do not like talking on the phone. I'm very insecure about the sound of my voice and, you know, being on calls all the time. And it just I would come home miserable and miserable. And, you know, that was after working for that company for five or six years being that underpaid And one day I just said, you know, if I'm going to sit here and tell people on the Internet to just up and quit your job if you don't like it and, you know, don't be fearful and, you know, you can always get another job at any time, you know, I should take my own advice. And I just, you know, I said I have a month of savings. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to find something else. And, you know, I'm going to work my butt off and apply to everything. And that's what happened. I lucked out. Just uh, I found an opportunity with the company I'm with right at the same time I decided to quit. It's a great fit. It just, I, I don't want to use exact numbers, but I almost doubled my salary. I mean, I'm it was about 42%, I estimated, of a jump. And it's just, it's like night and day, black and white. I love what I do. I'm doing similar work to what I was doing, but I'm not on the phones. My actual title's engineering project cost analyst now. So um, I work a lot with invoicing. I know, Justin, you had asked earlier a little bit about what I do. That's kind of the industry I'm in. I'm I work with a lot of engineering contractors. And I work in the invoicing department. So we're billing out for those contractors for the hours they worked.
2: I think that's a really good segue into something that I'd be curious about. Because, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're trying to kind of preach to people, hey, if you hate your job, you know, quit it, look for something else. But you were at that company for, you said, five to six years. And it sounded like I mean, honestly, as an outsider, like you're very underappreciated. Why did you stay there as long as you did? Were you trying to look on places like LinkedIn or like sync up with a, a headhunter? And trying to find a different job like while you were still employed or, you know, just what was kind of the thought process there?
0: The thought process there was, you know, uh, it's a safe job. It's a secure job. People have been there 25, 30 years. But the biggest complaint that they had was they're not making enough money. You know, they're never going to retire. They don't have enough money to retire, you know, and seeing people just staying there. I mean, there were people retiring that were 70, 80 years old. And I just said, I I can't do that. You know, I'm learning about financial independence and I got to save all this. And I, you know, my student loans are building up. I got to do something and I I can't do this job forever. So I I had to walk away.
1: And another thing I'd be curious about, and I really like this story because it is a narrative that we hear a lot of times. And I know we've gotten some flack like, Oh, you had this person on and they make over six figures. Of course they're going to hit financial independence. But you're charging after this financial independence goal, making at 1st ten seventy-five an hour, and then you get like a 40% raise. So you're still probably making like 16 or $17 an hour, which is far less than six figures. But you're managing to save money. So could you talk a little bit about like – we did talk about what you were earning. But could you talk a little bit about the tactics you were doing to actually save money on that income?
0: Well, I can tell you before I got that promotion that I just – the one that started just where I had to talk on the phone and it was killing me the way i was saving money before that promotion is i was working as much overtime as i could they were they were letting us work you know 8 to 10 hours overtime sometimes even mandatory i mean i had upwards of 12 hours of overtime a week and i was just i was taking it and just banking it you know paying off debt putting in savings building that ira getting that company match and then when I switched over to that job, and I, I know you guys like numbers because I, I like to be as transparent as I can, I, I'll tell you I still make under fifty thousand, but it's a little bit more per hour than you had guessed, Cody. So
1: okay, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> And so like, what are you doing for, I like hitting the big three. Like, what are you doing for housing, transportation, food, like those types of expense categories? Cause it is still pretty good that you're able to charge after five. You're able to get the company match. You're able to save money on an income that a lot of people would say is quite low.
0: So I guess I'm kind of unique in that situation. People might call me a little bit of a cheater because I rent and my rent's only like 500 bucks a month. I'm in a low cost of living area in Columbus with my transportation. Um, my commute's like, minutes and I'm still paying off my car but my car payment is less than 200 bucks and I'm paying you know between three and 350 a month on it on top of my student loans so the other one food I I spend like 60 bucks a week at the grocery I, I love my new job because I get paid weekly so my budget is all set up per week so that's how I can bank a lot of money too like getting paid per week is a luxury I that is one thing like I Will never take for granted again. It's just it's so nice being paid every week. But for food, I've been watching Master Chef all the time. I watch all these basic cooking YouTube videos. There's so many, you know, how do I cook this on YouTube? I do a lot of that. I play around and try to learn flavors. Somebody said that if you learn how to spice your food, it can completely change the way you look at it, and it's so true. All you have to do is learn a little bit of flavor and spice and everything tastes so much better you'll never want to go out to restaurants it's just it's an amazing feeling when you cook something and it just it tastes better than you know Chipotle or wherever you want to go or you know Applebee's and you just you cook the food that you usually you know go out to eat and spend twice as much on
2: First off I don't think you're you're cheating at all by renting I've been renting my entire life and you know I've rented for as little as 300 something dollars a month to now you know 800 something dollars a month so no worries about cheating there. One thing I would like to ask, though, is, you know, we've been sitting here, we've been talking about that even though you're on a little bit lower income scale, you're still going after financial independence. What do you feel like is a reasonable goal for yourself? Like, what goals have you set for yourself? Do you have like a, an age or a timeline in mind that where you
1: believe you'll hit financial independence? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug-and-play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show.
0: So I did forget to mention that currently I did just go through a divorce. So it's just me right now. And then I don't have any kids. So that's another thing I forgot to mention. So that's one way I can save a bunch. I know Cody wanted me to hit the top three, but I don't have kids or a spouse. So that's another one. Right now, just for this year, I want to max out my HSA, which I'm on track to do. But as far as long-term goals, I want to be out of debt, like I said earlier, in three to five years. I want to hit that million mark just because, I mean, if I'm only making you know forty to 50000 now... And I'm still paying, you know, 30 percent to debt. I mean, imagine if I had twenty or thirty percent more to live off of. And I enjoy the way I live. I, I don't feel like I want much. I can save up for pretty much anything I want. There's you know, I'm pretty frugal naturally and I have a few minimalist ideas, so I mean I have a very small apartment, so there's not much I can go out and buy. But I wanted to hit the million mark. By the time I hit five. and then I am thinking early retirement maybe around 55 to 59 ish. I do want to hit it by before 65. My dad actually retired from the university after uh, his 30 years, so I want to beat him. But he retired at I think 55.
1: So do you have any plans to, are you going to stay in this career for the rest of your life? Do you absolutely love what you're doing? Or are there any plans to pivot? Maybe, I don't know if you're going to get another degree or just learn a new skill set or what are you thinking there?
0: So my role is changing in the company. We're trying to get more into automated reporting and more technological efficiency and things like that. So I'm looking forward to see what the company brings. And also I've heard that they want to essentially almost triple their growth within the next five to 10 years. And they're talking going from training engineers and then switching them over to our clients to actually having people retire with the company and just exponential growth. So I'm actually thinking about sticking around because I'm very happy. I enjoy what I do. It's just a complete change from what I was used to. I love it, really.
2: Do you feel like this company has given you a better blueprint for success as far as, you know, the last company, you go out, you get your master's and you find out there's no reward for that. And I know we've had guests on before who really stress like having that clear understanding with your boss on what it takes to advance your job. Do you feel like you have that with your current employer?
0: I don't feel like the advancements there. But like I said, with this whole changing and restructuring of actually what I'm doing, there's always opportunity, but it's just I love the company I work for you know they're excited about the growth that my role is changing and I'm starting to get into some side hustles where you know I'm writing a book I'm working with people on becoming a financial coach I'm putting a lot of time and effort into my local group so I mean there's so many things going on that I just don't know what I want to do and it just kind of depends on how the future goes if you know, I have more time in the future. If I want to focus more on the local groups or financial coaching or do some more writing, I can do that. If I want to stay with the company, I can do that. But I don't see myself leaving anytime soon.
1: So one thing you just touched on there that we haven't really talked about in this episode, you're kind of Alluding to helping other people, whether it be through financial coaching or whether it be through writing. At what point in your journey did you decide, hey, I want to be a content creator? I want to start spreading this message. Other people need to know about this thing called financial independence.
0: I mean, I've always wanted to help people, kind of when the whole, when I was going through the whole Dame, Dave Ramsey personal finance portion of working through my master's and learning about business i really wanted to help my parents but they wouldn't listen because they're my parents and you know they kind of hit the point where well we have enough money but we don't want to you know, we don't care about having more. So I, I kind of wanted to reach out to my other friends. And I've just, I've always had a big heart. And even when I was going through the whole master's degree and, you know, going into debt and things like that, I was still, you know, I I'd lend people money so many times that I've made so many financial mistakes of lending people money that I just want to, I want to actually help them instead of just Throwing money at the problem. That's always one thing that I've always had trouble with. Is I just always want to throw money at the problem or have somebody else fix it for me instead of actually, you know, sitting down with somebody and coaching them and helping them through the problem.
2: And when you're coaching these people, assuming that you have, you know, some people you're interacting with who are at similar pay levels as yourself or maybe even lower, what do you advise them on as far as, you know, here's an easy way for you to get in to start investing? Because sometimes that's really daunting, especially to people who don't feel like they have, you know, a lot of income that. They could lose, like they they're so they're a little more intimidated by it.
0: I just try to help them save more. they they would have more money for investing. It's hard to realize when you're not on that financial independence path and you haven't kind of gone down the rabbit hole how much money you actually waste on stuff you really don't want and when you actually start getting down to the details and going over your spending and actually starting to learn what you value and purchasing things. That you want and that make you happy and serve a purpose versus, you know, buying things just because it's convenient or it's right there or you're not thinking about it. Kind of like with, you know, buying lunch every day or buying that bag of chips in the carryout or everybody goes to the latte factor. But it's just realizing that, yeah, I want to buy a latte, but if I cut it down to two or three days, then, you know, I still get that latte. I still have that feeling, but I have a little bit of money left over. Or if I don't, if I go out. You know, twice a week instead of four times a week, or just kind of finding that balance where you're still enjoying spending your money and then you have more to invest, but you still have that fun balance of, you know, spending on the conveniences and the things you want. And then going from there and learning about index investing and your Roth IRAs and all that kind of fun stuff for the people that actually enjoy that sort of thing. And then that gives them enough savings to invest their money.
1: One of the last things I want to talk about here before we kind of move into the final few questions is the poverty tax. But for people who are paycheck to paycheck, people who maybe they can't buy this item in bulk, or they can't pay this thing off in one fell swoop, like a credit card. And it's kind of like the poverty tax, you just get deeper and deeper into that hole. Could you talk about some of the struggles of having uh, that low income, like when it was 1075 per hour?
0: Yeah, the thing that really saved me when I hit that Struggle was the emergency fund. I know Dave Ramsey nails that on the head, you know, get that first thousand dollars and get that going. That's what I feel like kind of breaks the cycle is, you know, I had that thousand dollars and then just keep maybe adding a little bit more to it, or if something happens and pulling from it and then getting back to that thousand. It's kind of like a security blanket, but I really feel like that if you can get that first chunk of emergency savings, it just alleviates your anxiety and then you don't feel like you keep hitting that cycle and then. Then you start you know, saving that $2, and then you start saving that $3, and then you start saving that $6, and it just goes on from there. Uh, you just kind of got to turn that poverty cycle from the, the vicious cycle to the good cycle to the virtuous cycle, as um, I've heard it called. So that it, it's like the income snowball, I think J.D. Roth talks about, where you just keep growing and growing and growing.
2: Another thing I'm curious about is, because it seems like people on this lower income scale, you know, another deterrent they have for going after FI is... A big fear that when they do that, they're gonna to have to cut out all spending that brings them joy, like, you know, vacations, trips, activities. You mentioned that you're still doing some of those things. I know you mentioned credit card hacking, but could you just give us an idea of, you know, across a year, how many trips are you taking? What kind of trips are you taking? Like what are you doing to keep the journey interesting and not just a, a path of deprivation?
0: Well, I start with I always hit up my local fire group. There's always fun stuff going on. I mean, that's once a month. That's a free I know, Justin, I know you love your freebies. So, I mean, there there's a free social hangout once a month. You know, you can get together, you can have a potluck and have some food, and, you know, you can try new foods and see what everybody likes and things like that. Yeah, I'm all about having that latte. You know, if, it, if you like it and you enjoy it, it's just, you can't have six lattes and, you know, the BMW and the. McMansion and it's all those factors it's the little things and the big things put together in my opinion that ruins the low income and your savings so what I do is I I just don't need those things so I mean I'm not going to tell somebody to cut out their latte every day but I am going to say well you know what about your housing your transportation and the latte and this and that and can you lower each of them a little bit or can you lower one of the big ones to keep the latte or you know what can you do or what can you change or can you stop buying on impulse and stick to a budget? I mean, there's, there's so many things that people have. It's not always that coffee every day, that latte that breaks them down.
1: I love that. And that's why Justin and I always talk about focusing on those big three because then you can go on those fun vacations or you can buy that latte or you can go to that concert. If you have your housing at, what'd you say? It was $500 a month, Chad, and you have low transportation costs and you go and buy food at the grocery store and you prepare it yourself. And we've covered a ton of information in this episode so far. Chad, is there anything that we're missing? Maybe Justin and I just forgot to ask about it, or something that you really want to mention to our listeners the message that you want to get across?
0: Well, Justin wanted me to mention some of the other things I do to keep things interesting while I cook. You know, I try to copy restaurant meals. With travel hacking, I'm trying to get a few free flights to explore the US a little bit more. I do day trips. I go out and I just kinda of hang out and find neat stuff that's, you know, either free or cheap. Or you know, I just jump in the car for three hours and go and see what I can find. And, you know, maybe there's some interesting sites, there's historical markers all over Ohio. There's all kinds of fun stuff. You can always look online and find fun free things to do.
2: Well, Chad, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You know, it's always great to talk to somebody from a different part in life. You know, a lot of times in this space, we focus so much on the high earners because they have these really short distances to fly. but that's not the case that everybody's in. So it's, I really appreciate, you know, you coming and giving us your, your perspective. And if people want to, you know, find out more about you, follow along with your story, what's the best way for them to, to reach out, you know, follow along or contact you?
0: If they want to follow along with my story, I haven't been writing as much, but my website is, it's littlebrotherlifecoach.com, and I'm pretty active on Facebook in the Choose FI main groups, and sometimes I'll poke around in the FI show group. You can always send me a message on Facebook if you see me hunting and pecking in there. I'm on Twitter, it's Chad Methner, LBLC, but you can contact me usually on Facebook, or you can send me a message through the site or leave a comment.
1: Sweet. Awesome, man. Well, we'll link all that up in the show notes so people do not have to remember. And one thing we like to ask all of our guests is what is your number one tip for those on the path to financial independence?
0: With the low income, I say pay yourself first. You were asking earlier about how to break that poverty cycle. I forgot to mention pay yourself first. You know, I'm always setting aside that $5 and growing it to $10 to $20 and things like that. So I don't remember who told me to pay yourself first, but that is my number one piece of financial advice for anyone at any time
2: all right chad well now it's time for the most fun question of the entire interview it is the wild card question it's one that i'm not prepared to ask cody's not prepared to hear and you're probably not prepared to answer but uh (laughs) you ready to go
0: let's try it
2: okay so let's imagine you've got five bucks in your pocket and it's time to take a girl on a first date you got to impress her what do you do
0: take the five dollars go to the grocery store and cook her up a home-cooked meal
1: hell yeah man (laughs) there you go That was quick and easy.
0: (laughs) I love cooking. I I, I hate to say it, but it's like my newfound hobby. I've stopped going to the gym. I stopped writing, but all I want to do is cook. I don't want to eat all the time, but I want to cook.
2: Hey, man, I I cook all the time. I just sous up some uh, beautiful pork chops. Excited about those.
0: (laughs) Nice. I got homemade pizza in the works. I got my sauce boiling right now, and then I'm going to (laughs) throw out the dough and pop it in the oven.
1: Well, that's awesome, Chad. I am definitely a huge proponent of cooking as well. You can make some awesome tasting stuff for five bucks or less. And just thank you so much for spending your time with us on the podcast today. You definitely shared a unique perspective, like Justin said, and just showed that this is possible for anyone, no matter your income level, no matter your background, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're living, no matter whether you've gone through a divorce, you have kids, whatever, this is a possible path. So just thank you so much for joining us today, Chad.
0: All right, guys, thanks for having me.
2: Man, this was obviously a very different episode. I mean, this is somebody a lot lower income than we're used to seeing, but still had a really good story. I mean, what'd you think about it?
1: Yeah, I really liked getting that different angle because we've got some flack where we have people who retire in two, three years, five years, seven years, but a lot of these people are making six figures and or multiple six figures. So people are like, well, obviously they're gonna hit financial independence if they're making $500,000, but Chad has a totally different story. He started out making ten seventy five and even after getting his master's degree like he thought he should, he's still making only a couple more bucks an hour. So what I really liked about the episode was that it just shows that this path is possible. It's not just for the high-income doctors and lawyers and engineers and all those people. No matter what you're making, if you can kind of tweak and optimize your lifestyle, you can find that spot where you can have a decent savings rate.
2: It is a story that is still important for a lot of people out there. I mean, Now, it is interesting, though, too, to learn some from some of the mistakes from Chad. I mean, he goes out and gets that master's expecting to get a lot more income only to realize that he actually wasn't. And I think it just drives that importance of having a good relationship with your managers and your company and know what the path forward is and focus all your energy on that and not focus your energy too much on something that may not actually be productive but Chad does eventually you know, find his way away from that company and into a job that he really enjoys, which is the other half of this whole journey is not just about the money, but also finding that happiness. And he is genuinely a very happy guy.
1: Yeah. And one thing that a lot of people in the FI world get flack for is like, oh, if you're spending less than, say, $80,000, then you're depriving yourself. You don't have a fun life. Clearly, for most of the listeners and both of us, definitely, that is absolutely not true. And Chad is someone who totally embodies that message. He was talking about how he was cheating because he was renting and he wasn't spending a lot on housing. He doesn't spend a lot on transportation. He said he drives a pretty cheap, old, used car. And then his big hack was he loves to cook. He loves replicating meals that he could get at Chipotle or Applebee's, I think he named, and some other restaurants, and obviously that drastically reduces his food bill. So he's making this whole journey fun for himself. And then Justin, I know you asked him specifically about travel. He's still going on multiple trips a year and he's using tricks like travel hacking and using Airbnbs and all these other tips and tricks that the whole Fi community has learned to live an awesome life without spending a ton of money.
2: And the last thing I just wanted to mention was because I think it's so cool to see is that while Chad has discovered this journey for himself, even though he has a lower income, he still feels very confident. In it. I mean, he's got that debt pay down plan. He's got some big goals to, to try to retire before 55 and hit a million dollars. But beyond that, he's sharing it with other people. So he's leading a local FI group. He's um, trying to do some coaching. He's wanting to write a book. So not only has he accepted the fact that, you know, he can do this journey, but he's really pushing the message out there.
1: And so, Justin, don't you think that... Whoa.
2: What is it, Cody?
1: It's the call to action, man. And so as I was just talking about before, Chad is the king of finding activities that are still fun, but they're frugal or maybe even free. So our challenge to you, and Justin and I are also huge proponents of this, find something that's free or close to free that you'd love to do. Maybe it's a hike, maybe it's a bike, maybe it's a kayak. It doesn't have to be outside. Maybe you could be something inside playing board games or whatever, but find that frugal or free activity, put it on your calendar and just have fun because the whole thing about this journey is you don't want to be depriving yourself. You don't want to be just grinding, grinding, grinding to hit that holy grail number of financial independence. You need to be enjoying the ride.
2: Yeah, it's a great call to action, Cody. And if you want to go out there and you know read through the show notes, find some of those links where you can follow along with Chad's story, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash Chad. And as always, we would love for you to come out, join one of the best FI communities in the world at thefyshow.com slash community. And as always, we would love any of those five-star reviews which help us get great guests and just cast a broader net. So thanks for listening.
1: See you on next week's episode of... The
2: Five Show. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal, like, budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available—the very same one that I use to track my net worth from thirty-eight thousand dollars to over one point two million dollars—available for free on our website at thefiveshow slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.